Well, good morning. I googled the, the five greatest tragedies in the United States over the last half century. And I want to share those with you. And I, and I chose the last half century because I believe that most of us can relate to those. In fact, a lot of us in here can remember where we were when we actually heard these uh, tragedies. Top five are the killing of the seven astronauts in the Challenger space shuttle, January 28, 1986. Number four was the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, November 22, 1963. Number three is the truck bombing of the Oklahoma City Federal Building by Timothy McVeigh, April 19, 1995, killing 168 people and wounding uh, uh, 680. Number two, Hurricane Katrina on uh, August 29, 2005, which killed more than 1,300 people. Number one, which I think we all know, 9-11. September 11, 2001, the worst tragedy over the last 50 years, killing more than 3,000 people at the World Trade Center by Muslim terrorists. Now, when we hear about tragedies like this, it points us to the two greatest questions we ever asked. Why did God, or why didn't God? When we look at the news and we, and we see all the man-made disasters and the natural disasters, in fact, you may have experienced a tragedy on your own life or your own family, you have to ask yourself, why? Why did God why didn't God? Why did God allow that, that little girl to die at that intersection? Why did God allow one of my dear friends to, to suffer, eventually die of brain cancer with two little boys? Why didn't God save that family from that house fire, little boy, little girl, and their parents? Why didn't God stop that tsunami that killed thousands of people? If you've ever been frustrated at one of these moments, you're not the first, and you certainly will not be the last. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible built around a man that had these exact same feelings. His name is Habakkuk. So if you go ahead and turn your Bibles to Habakkuk, it's in the latter part of the Old Testament. If you get to the New Testament, you've gone too far, back up five books and you're right there. Now as you're doing this, I want to take a quick survey. How many people in here would say that Habakkuk is their favorite book of the Bible? Raise your hands. I didn't think so. Well, one of my desires here this morning is, is when you get to heaven... And that's another desire that we all get to heaven. But when you get to heaven and a man walks up to you and he says, Hi, my name's Habakkuk. Do you know who I am? I want you to be able to say with all integrity, Yes, I do. Well, the only time that Habakkuk is mentioned in God's Word is his own book. And to help you remember the theme of Habakkuk, all you have to do is remember what his name means. His name literally means to embrace it means to wrestle. And that's what Habakkuk did in his own book. He wrestled with his faith 
and he wrestled with God. Now, what makes this particular prophet different than all the other prophetical books is whereas the other prophets, it was a long extended sermon. It was a letter, a repeated series of warnings against rebellious Israel. This particular book is really just a dialogue. It's a dialogue between Habakkuk and with God. It's a prayer journal. Three prayers from Habakkuk and two answers from God. Now, as Habakkuk is looking around a world that is literally falling apart around him, kind of like our world is falling apart around us, and he wrestles with this question. He said, if there's a God in heaven who is all-loving, all-caring, he's in control, then why in the world is the world in such a mess? Why is there tragedies? Why are there heartaches? Why are there headaches? Why? Now, if you've ever been there, or you may be there now, I'll remind you of something that it is not a sin to doubt. In fact, I want you to say that with me. It is not a sin to doubt. In fact, if you handle your doubt the proper way, your faith can actually go stronger. Now let me give you a quick historical background of the time when Habakkuk was written. The two greatest kings in all of Israel's history was King David and his son, King Solomon. Now during this time, they were literally the number one superpower. Everything was going well. Everything was going right with God and they were literally an invincible nation. But Solomon began to drift from the Lord, and he began to disobey God. And he began to, to intermarry with pagan women. He set up pagan shrines, and eventually Israel fell into idolatry. Now after Solomon's death, a civil war broke out over control over the nation, and actually the nation split into two different nations. Judah to the south and Israel to the north. Now because of Israel rebellion in 722 BC, another world superpower, the Assyrians, we've learned about them a couple weeks ago, the Assyrians came in and they conquered Israel, the northern kingdom, and they took captives. And God left the southern kingdom, Judah alone, at least for a while. And in fact, under a good king named King Josiah, they experienced a little revival. But it didn't last long. And Judah fell into paganism and to idolatry. That's where Habakkuk comes in. Habakkuk begins praying for his nation. And he's praying and he's praying and he's praying. He gets discouraged. And he begins to doubt God. This morning, I'm going to share with you tr three truths. Three truths from Habakkuk on how that we can deal with our doubts. And the first truth right out of the gate is be honest with God. Be honest with God. Be open and honest with God. Look at verse 2 in chapter 1. It says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Now, obviously, Habakkuk had been praying for a long time. He'd been praying day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year with no response. Put it mildly, 
Habakkuk got really blunt with God, did he not? This week when I was reflecting over this, this passage, it reminded me of a time in my own life that I got open and honest with God. I was 19 years old. I moved out of my house, my parents' home. It wasn't on the best circumstances. I was young. I was immature, foolish, and I moved out. I didn't have a place to go, but I was a full-time student, and I was working at a gym, so they gave me a key to the front door, so I decided I would stay there for a little while, thinking it would be temporary, and it turned out to be a little bit longer than temporary. It was a very difficult time for me then. In fact, uh, I was very good at masking my feelings. All my friends would ask me, Scott, how's it going? And I'd always say, it's going great. It's going great. I said, heard you moved out. I said, yeah, I moved out. I moved into a 26,000 square foot home. I've got two Olympic-sized swimming pools, a sauna, a whirlpool. I even have my own sunbed. Things are great. But deep down, I was hurting. I can remember this one particular day like it was yesterday. It was December 25th, 1983, Christmas Day. Everybody celebrating their family. I guess because of pride, I wasn't. I was by myself. I worked out most of the day and got bored and got hungry. So I decided I would go eat something. So I get in my car and I travel around Columbia. Can I tell you something? There's nothing open on December 25th, 1983. I finally found one restaurant to eat at. It was Chappie's Fish and Sticks. And I don't like fried fish. So I eat at Chappie's. That was a pitiful sight. I go back to my place where I was staying and throw down a blanket. I didn't even have a TV. And go to bed. That night, I had the most honest and open conversation I've ever had with God. In fact, if you could have heard what I said to God, I'd be embarrassed. Can you relate? Have you ever poured out your heart? Poured out your heart with no response? Maybe you've prayed for a marriage to make it, and it didn't. Maybe you've prayed for a baby to live, but the baby died. Maybe you've prayed for a wayward son or daughter to no avail. Do you know that feeling? That's how Habakkuk felt. Let me continue reading verse 2. It says, oh, cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hymn and the righteous, so the justice is perverted. Now, what Habakkus is saying here is people are messed up. Families are messed up. Cultures are messed up. Children don't have dads. Policemen aren't enforcing the law. 
attorneys, judges, they're not worried about justice. They're more worried about the power and money. Elected officials, more concerned about lining their pockets than they are about caring for the people they serve. If you do the right thing, you get sued. Do the wrong thing, you get away with it. Sound familiar? It's interesting to me in these couple of verses that Habakkuk uses the word violence twice. Would you agree with me that we're living in an increasingly violent society? From battered wives and children to road rage to school shootings, riots in the streets, homicide bombers. But yet, in spite of all that, we are supposed to believe that there's a God in heaven that loves us and cares for us. It doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to Habakkuk. And it doesn't make sense to us today. Now when faced with this dilemma, people are going to tell you something. People are going to tell you one of two things. People are going to tell you this. Don't you ever question God. You don't have the right to question God. You're going to offend God. And if you ever question God, you better keep it to yourself. And the other extreme, people may tell you this. Why in the world would you ever believe in God? Why would you believe in a God who can but doesn't? Why would you believe in a God who should but won't? Well, back it says this. I'm going to do them both. I am going to question God even while I believe in God. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you because this is absolute truth. When you wrestle with God and you wrestle with your faith, you will do one of three things. And only one of them is right. The first thing that you will do or that some people will do, they'll check out. I know people right now here at Northside Baptist Church that were very, very active in our church. They served in leadership. They were here every single Sunday and then they hit a tough spot. And you know what they did? They just quit coming to church. They checked out. The one time that they needed church the most, the one time that they needed to hang out with the fellowship of other believers, they check out. Other people back out. They just walk away from God altogether. They say, I knew this God thing wasn't for me. I knew this wasn't real. I knew this was a fairy tale. Both of these responses are wrong. They're futile. We need to do what Habakkuk did. He talked it out. He didn't check out. He didn't back out. He talked it out. He did what his name says. He wrestled with God. He didn't pout, he didn't pretend, he wrestled with God. Are you frustrated? Tell him. Can I tell you a secret? <laughs> he already knows. He does. He knows your heart. 
Go ahead and question God. He can handle your questions. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your frustrate, frustrations. Tell him. Now that's the Baptist first prayer. Now come God's first answer. And let me remind you of something before I continue. God will always, always answer your prayers. Now you may not like his answer. You may not recognize his answer. But he will always answer your prayers. Verse 5. Look at the nations and watch. And be utterly amazed for what I'm, what I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. Now what God's saying to back is this. is Listen, what I'm going to tell you is going to knock your socks off. And if you've never read this scripture, it is going to knock your socks off. Here Habakkuk is pouring his heart out, being honest with God, and this is the answer that God gives Habakkuk. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past the wind and go on. Guilty men whose strength is their God. Now, in effect, what God is saying to back is, you think things are bad now? You haven't seen anything yet. In fact, God tells Habakkuk six words that remind us of that old adage, be careful what you pray for, you might just get it. Well, those six words can be found in verse 6. It says, I am raising up the Babylonians. God says, Habakkuk, you've been praying for deliverance for your nation. I'm going to deliver you all right. I'm going to deliver you right in the hands of your worst nightmare. Now, I don't have time to really unpack just how bad the Babylonians are, but you can see in the description here, Taliban, Al-Qaeda, North Koreans, these guys are Girl Scouts compared to just how bad the Babylonians are. There's never been a more ruthless people in the history of the world than the Babylonians. They didn't conquer nations. They crushed them. They would go in and kill the men, take advantage of the women, murder their babies, burn their homes down, burn their fields down. And what God was saying is, Habakkuk, you've been praying for revival. But I'm not going to send you revival. I am going to raise up the most wicked, ruthless, horrible people to come and conquer Judah. Now I can imagine what Habakkuk thinks this time. Hey God, time out. Time out. I like it better when you weren't doing anything at all. I like it better that we could just forget all about this. Habakkuk said, let me make sure I understand you. You're going to raise up a nation more wicked than our nation. You're going to raise up a nation more sinful than our nation. You're going to raise up a nation 
more horrible than our nation to come in and wreak havoc and destroy our nation. You might be able to relate to that. You've prayed for something and God's given you the complete opposite. You've prayed for this and you got that. So what do you do? You've poured your heart out to God. And you either hear no response or you don't like God's answer. What do you do? Well, second truth is you have to place your trust in God. You've got to place your trust in God. You don't check out. You don't back out. Even after you talk it out and you're still not satisfied, what do you do? You go back to the basics. That's what Rabakik did. In essence, you go back to the beginning. You place your faith in the one who loves you the most, who cares for you the most, and wants the very best for you. Now that's Habakkuk's, now it's time for Habakkuk's second prayer, verse 12. In fact, I want to read it together. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? I don't just stop there, circle that word everlasting. God is everlasting. God is eternal. That means nothing catches God by surprise. He was here before all this started, and he'll be here after all this passes. From eternity past to eternity future, or to eternity present to eternity future, he will never make a mistake. Let me ask you a question. How many people in here have been a believer longer than 10 years? Raise your hand. Longer than 10 well, That's a lot of people. Keep them up. How many people in here have been longer than 25 years? 50 years. Can I ask you people, has God ever made a mistake in your life? No. And he never, ever will. You see, when we look at it that way, it keeps our problems into perspective. Then he goes on to say in verse 12, My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Circle that word holy. That one word that you circled is God's greatest attribute. He is holy. He is perfectly holy. Now, how holy is he? Look at verse 13. It says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Now, don't, inter don't misinterpret what these verses say. It doesn't mean that God doesn't see sin. Because God sees sin. God sees everything. Nothing is hidden from God. But what this does mean is that when God does see sin... He doesn't approve of sin. When you hear a dirty joke and laugh, he can't. When you're sitting around the water fountain and you're gossiping, he can't. He's perfectly holy. So Habakkuk's arguing with God. And in essence, Habakkuk's saying this to God. God, are you sure you're doing the right thing here? And then he reminds himself, you must be because you're holy. You're perfectly holy. Verse 12, O Lord, 
You have appointed them to execute judgment. O rock, you have ordained them to punish. In other words, God is sovereignly powerful. God controls history. God controls destiny. God controls this world and everything and everyone in it. Although the Babylonians thought they raised themselves up, they didn't. God raised them up. God raised this pagan, wicked, ruthless people up. God raised them up for his specific purpose and his specific plan. You see, our finite minds will never, ever under, will never co comprehend the, the infinite, the infinite wisdom of God. That's why we must simply trust God in everything that we do. So what we've learned, when we don't think God is listening, he is. When we think that God doesn't have a plan, he does. And when we think things are out of control in our lives, they're not. So far, first truth, be honest with God. Second truth, trust God. And the final truth, rejoice in God. Now I want you to fast forward to chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. And this is Habakkuk's conclusion this is final prayer this is how he wraps up the book of Habakkuk this is how he answers God in his final prayer he says yet now I'm going to stop there for a second yet now what does yet mean everything that's taken place previously all these things that God has told Habakkuk he says yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now what Habakkuk is saying here is that joy is not based on your circumstances. Joy is based on a relationship. Joy is based on a relationship with Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. If you have Jesus Christ, you don't need anything else. I'm going to share one final passage. It's in Psalm chapter 13. And the reason I want to share this passage, it's a beautiful parallel to the book of Habakkuk. It says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And day after day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Is David being open and honest with God there? Yeah. Then he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. David says, I'm going to trust you, God. Then he says, my heart rejoices in your salvation. He says, I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David is rejoicing in God, no matter what the circumstances, because he has a relationship with God. 
Now, when debating God, when you're frustrated with God and you ask these questions, why this disaster? Why this heartache? Why this headache? Why am I suffering? Well, sometimes God wants to miraculously save you. Sometimes God wants to correct your behavior. Sometimes God simply wants to bring you to your knees and encourage you to have a heart of repentance. Sometimes it's simply to teach us patience. Sometimes it's to get our eyes off of this world and focus on eternal matters. Sometimes it's all the above and more. But God always, always has a purpose. If you're still not convinced that God can take the greatest evil and turn it to the greatest good, if you're still not convinced that God can take the greatest injustice and turn it into the greatest justice, I want to share with you five words, five simple but profound words. The cross of Jesus Christ. Say that. The cross of Jesus Christ. You see, when those disciples were at the cross and they were shaking their fist at God and they were saying, Why, God? How could you let this happen? I thought this was your beloved son whom you're well pleased. I thought he was going to come and conquer our enemies. I thought he was going to save the world. How do you think those guys felt? Hurt? Sad? Confused? Mad? Do you think they doubted God at that moment? <laughs> Three days later, Sunday, at an empty tomb, a light goes off. And they realize right then, God was listening. God was working. And God had a plan all along. Let me pray. Father God, we love you so much. And God, sometimes we say just trust you. And God, it's not always that easy. Father God, I pray now that we just place our faith and our trust in the one who absolutely loves us the most. Father God, I know that there, in a group this size, there may be people that say, I don't know Jesus Christ. I don't know about this hope that you're talking about. I don't know about this rejoicing that you're talking about, Father. I don't know about that relationship. It's simple. All you have to do is just admit that you're a sinner. The Bible's very, very clear. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've got to admit that we're a sinner and turn away. We've got to repent. We've got to say, Lord, we'd never want to do that again. We've got to believe believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth lived a perfect life died on the cross so that we can spend eternity with you then we've got to simply 
put our hope and our faith and our trust. We've got to commit our lives to you. And Father God, if there's anyone in here that's never done that, all they have to do is pray this simple prayer. Just pray it to themselves. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he came and died for me. I want to commit my life to you. Come into my heart right now. The Bible's very clear. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Welcome to God's family. There may be other people in here and that says, I'm hurting. Or they may know somebody that's hurting. And they need to just pour out their heart to the one who loves them. Father God, when I finish praying, I'm going to invite, if someone prayed to receive Jesus Christ, I pray they come forward and they tell me or Pastor Steve and that we can rejoice with them and we can tell them the next steps. For others, the altar's open. Father God, I pray that they come forward and just pour their heart out to you. Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.